dinosaurs and man. Two species separated by 65 million years of evolution. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? Hello all and welcome to another episode of Fossil Fic. I hope you're all keeping well. Um, today, episode four, we are doing, in many ways, the most historically significant piece of movable picture media that featured dinosaurs and their their ilk. And it's not Jurassic Park, and it's not King Kong. It's the 1925 movie version of the 1912 book by Arthur Carlin Doyle, The Lost World. Uh, a silent picture, which introduced several new techniques that took the world by storm, shall we say. This will be a bit of a shorter episode, as it's not the most in-depth story in the world, uh, but it really has to be talked about. It is that important. So let's go back in time to a plateau in the middle of nowhere, where Brontosaurus tried to eat people. The Lost World, uh, a term that has been roundly abused over the years. Uh, Written by Arthur Conan Doyle in 1912, it's considered one of the seminal pieces of science fiction, let alone paleofiction, and at some point I will cover the book on its own. Very well received and very well respected. If it had come out today, the idea of a movie adaptation would be a no-brainer. Uh, there'd be a ton of them. There'd be the summer, summer blockbuster one. A few years down, there'd be the international remake of that and, and such and such. The thing is, doing a live-action movie adaptation of a book about dinosaurs uh, in the 1910s and 20s, <laughs> something of a different affair. Stop-motion animation was being developed, but it was in its infancy in many ways. And... Uh, the idea of doing convincing special effects with this was it couldn't be done and uh, and would be ridiculously expensive still they wanted to give it a go and they got harry hoyt and marion fairfax to take care of directing and writing but what made this film stand out at the time was the special effects because they were done by willis o'brien who of course would go on to work with king kong and be the mentor to the infamous and famous ray harryhausen uh, special effects master. Willis had done some shorts with some early level technology on uh, the special effects and he had done Ghost of Slumber Mountain uh, but for The Lost World he actually developed an entirely new way of doing it whereby you could have people interacting with the footage. Um, King Kong w- which uh, O'Brien, would la- O'Brien would later work on uh, in the 30s uh, basically took that technology and ran with it creating the ability for Uh, actors to react with the footage behind them. Um, In this case, it was a way of integrating characters on a screen so that you had live-action actors and small and miniature and these stop-motion figures, they were about 12, I think, were made for the film and they were about 18 inches tall at the largest. Um, So just just get that in your head and the amount of detail and subtlety to them. And, And you could make it look like a composite image. Again, today, these special effects are considered cute, 
cute would be an effective thing. At the time, they broke the world. Um... They were so advanced that in 1922, uh, Doyle showed a te- some test footage to the American Society of Magicians, including Harry Houdini, and didn't tell them what it was. They said He said, I have this bit of footage here, and I want to show it to you, and put it on. And they didn't know what to make of it. Um, a, a famous quote by one of the magicians was that either this is an effects masterpiece as to as to it, these are real images. They might as well be real. The effects and graphics are so good. Or Doyle has secretly found footage of surviving dinosaurs. So it was a, a very very big deal. The film was a box office smash for its time. On a seven hundred thousand dollar budget, it made one point three million, uh, and that, that's old school money. So it it was a huge success. Um, it got released a number of times over the years. Apparently, and I only found this out recently, at one point it was lost. The actual footage was lost because of how they were containing and archiving footage back then. Um, but they managed to find it all originally. Um, apparently, what was going to happen is that they were going to... They destroyed a lot of the original footage because they were going to make a sounded version. Um, but then that morphed into the King Kong project. So they never made the sounded version of Lost World, and it wasn't until someone found a second reel that they were able to get the get the film together and release it. Um, it's been released in multiple different versions over the years. Uh, you can even get it on Blu-ray, to, you know, two K, which is just so bizarre to me. Um, the The film's impact is enormous. It created or certainly popularized the idea of these lost worlds that in these hidden parts of the world, time stopped. Um, and it would be referenced in science fiction for years to come. Uh, probably most famously with, of course, The Lost World Jurassic Park. Which Crichton would later on say he did it as an homage to the original book and the original film. Um, but early on, in the early 90s, and I distinctly remember reading this. Um, Crichton said that he thought the originals were cute but rather silly affairs. And he wanted to add a bit of legitimacy to the name. So read into that what you will. The films also garnered a bit of controversy of the earth for its portrayal of race and racism. Um, and some of it's toned down, I believe, from the book. It's, uh, but there's a, a character called Zambo, who is supposed to be the big native servant guy who keeps showing up in these kind of films. And who is portrayed by blackface. Isn't that awkward? Um, and then there are the antagonists for the film, the eight, or the secondary antagonists, or the main antagonists, um, the ape men, who are, are savage, brutal, and are usually read as, by, by uh, historians, as representing non-white culture. Which wouldn't have been shocking for the time. Uh, it was quite common for cartoonists to use images of chimpanzees, gorillas and such to represent other nationalities in a less than positive light. What kind of true people off in, in historians' case is that Doyle, for his time and social standing, was relatively progressive in his treatment of other races in his novels and media. Um, I add relatively... I've read the entire collection of Sherlock Holmes. There are many uncomfortable bits, but relatively. Um, 
one thing, if you want that, some historians have suggested this, one thing you could take as possibly a different interpretation of the Ape Man is that they are a mockery of Darwinian evolution. He was not a huge fan of it. Um, he was a spiritualist at heart, and he was a very he ran in intellectual circles, and he met a lot of scientists who, at the time, it was after the identification of evolution and such, it was very in vogue to mock spiritualism and religious beliefs among the intelligentsia. Um, particularly at the time when eugenics was kicking off and a whole new wave of the import of evolution and improving our society was kicking in. Um, and Doyle was not a fan of any of this and didn't exactly make that a secret. At one point, he was a suspect in the Piltdown Man case. If you don't know, that is a case where in Piltdown, they found a supposed remains of a transitional humanoid fossil. Uh, it was fake, and the the general consensus is it was planted in order to disprove evolution, because you scientists, you think you're so smart you couldn't even spot a fake. Uh, Doyle was a, a prime suspect for, the, for that for years, so... Uh, he was... I believe they actually identified who did it a few years back, but... It is possible that to read the eight men, uh, particularly one of Roxton's lines about removing them from his family tree, as mocking the idea that we evolved from primates. All of which is very likely couched in a negative opinion of other races, and and I think while you could make that argument, I'd have to agree with the historians who think that's a bit of wishful thinking. We're trying to make Doyle and the creators of this film look better. But anyway, um, the fil film was also very popular with Doyle himself. He would describe the project as his favorite thing he ever worked on. Um, so it, it, it's it's seminal. Seminal is not the word. Special effects as we know it would not exist without this film. King Kong, uh, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, Godzilla, Jaws, Jurassic Park, the, you know, the Valley of Guanji. All of these films directly trace their roots to the works of Willis O'Brien. So, bit of background. Let's talk about the film itself. The Lost World is set during the Edwardian era and stars Professor Challenger, a rambunctious, over-the-top scientist type who is given a journal which houses pictures of dinosaurs inside him, which Challenger believes is proof enough that they're real and are out there still. So he's a wee bit gullible. Um, he is mocked at the zoological hall and ridiculed by his academic peers. Uh, he eventually gets a newspaper to finance a trip to find the lost explorer Maple White, um, who apparently went missing in the middle of this lost world. Let's see what he did there. Um, he's joined by Paula White, uh, John Roxton, newspaper reporter Edward Malone, who is a good Irish spy, uh, Professor Summerley, Zambo, and his uh, butler Austin, who probably should have considered a career change. Um, they make it to the plateau and they are stunned when rocks are thrown at their heads by a, some kind of ape-like humanoid. While looking for their attacker, they look up and see a pterosaur, a pteranodon, and are rather shocked <laughs> to see a, a living Mesozoic animal, which is hunting and killing a Toxodon. 
Um, for those of you who don't know, slight thing, Toxodon, uh, it's a genus of extinct ungulate. So it's uh, a wee bit out of time itself. Um, these corroborate the statements in the journal. Um, Zambo and Austin stay at camp. Uh, the main crew cross a chasm to get onto the plateau using a tree as a bridge, but find it is knocked over by a very, very, very mean brontosaurus. Uh, as they get to the plateau, they see a bunch of animals fighting and living and dying. Uh, Allosaurus is hunting hadrosaurs. Uh, the Allosaurus is then chased off by a Triceratops. Another Ceratopsian attacks the Allosaurus and kills it, but then it's killed by a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh, and and add in from an item, really. The group eventually manages to make a catapult and begin their search for Maple, which unfortunately finds their remains confirming their death. Uh, in the middle of this, Ed and Paula fall in love and are officially wed by Summerlee, uh, so they can enjoy the fruits of marriage without feeling bad about themselves. Um, at one point they are watching the Brontosaurus, uh, another Allosaurus shows up and attacks it, knocking the Brontosaurus off the edge of, of the plateau into a mud bank. Um, of course, as is the way, a volcano erupts and the giant creatures of the Lost World go into stampede. Um, the crew survives because Paula's pet monkey, Jocko, climbs up the plateau with a rope and helps them down, so well done Jocko. As they're making their descent, Ed is attacked by the ape men again. He's ultimately shot and killed by Roxon, the, the ape man, not uh, not Ed. Um, the Brontosaurus survives its fall in the mud, and Challenger thinks it's a really good idea to take it out of the mud and bring it to London, because this will prove his story. Um, this goes badly, as when it's being unloaded from the ship it escapes and causes utter havoc. Uh, destroys the tower bridge and swims down the Thames, uh, presumably attempting to swim home. Challenger is, you know, understandably down about the entire event. Ed uh, discovers that the the love he left behind in London has married in his absence, which means he was technically cheating on her, and by technically I mean actually, uh, allowing him and Paula to officially be together, and uh, Roxton gallantly hides the fact he's been in love with Paula this whole time as they go away. And the two passerbys note that John is a real sportsman because of it. To say this is a piece of its time is an understatement uh, in every single aspect, and no more so than the dinosaurs and various animals themselves. Primarily these are dinosaurs, in fact, but as was the way uh, other things are mixed in, uh, pterosaurs, the toxodon I mentioned, the, the, the Cenozoic ungulate, and the mysterious and unnamed ape man who likes to throw stuff at you. Now this would be where I would actually start criticizing the film for its portrayal of inaccurate dinosaurs and inaccurate prehistoric life. Except I can't because for its time, this was accurate to a lot of its knowledge. The Brontosaurus, the Tyrannosaurus, the Allosaurus, these are all well-known species at the time. Um, the various other taxa in here are also animals that we largely don't think about nowadays, but are, were much bigger then. Um, they are done reasonably accurately to how they are reconstructed. 
And it, it's actually, when you look at it in the cultural context, very hard to criticize this one in terms of its accuracy. It's a, it's a strange one. Most of the dinosaurs are based on the work of Charles Knight, who did the very famous mural. Um, it's got, uh, the, basically, it's like the, the span of time. And as you move across, you move closer and closer to the present. Um, it's the, one of the most famous images from it is the sauropod in the swamp and the, the Tyrannosaurus in it. Also, I'm saying Brontosaurus here because at that time, of course, Brontosaurus was uh, considered to be the primary genus and uh, it was frequently reconstructed with a Camarasaurus-like skull. It's, it's a strange thing to be saying that for the time, this was remarkably accurate. This was the Jurassic Park of its day. This was as scientifically up-to-date as anything had ever been. Um, these animals looked like how people expected them to. They moved how people expected them to. There are inaccuracies, of course. Uh, the Brontosaurus is a hardcore killing machine. And obviously a lot of animals are mixed in here from different times. Um, but yeah, accuracy. Strangely enough, very strangely enough, looking at it from a modern perspective, it couldn't have been any better than what it was. Which leads us, guys, to my thoughts on this film, and it's an interesting one. As a film, it's of its time. It's very of its time. The, the, the fact it's silent means you really lose a lot of nuances in the performances, because in order to express everything, everyone's over the top and gesturing and la 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 la. Um, the narrative itself is very, very light. Much lighter than you'd actually expect for its hour and a half runtime. Um, it's a pretty linear tale of them going up into a plateau, finding dinosaurs, and coming back down. Um, they don't have a larger goal. Like, if the brontosaurus hadn't fallen in the mud, Challenger wouldn't have had any proof. One thing this does very well is make you like Challenger. He is an overblown, over-the-top loudmouth who's incredibly endearing as the action scientist of his day it was a very common archetype of this adventuring go-getter explorer who's eccentric but brilliant with his genius he has no need for love nor money all he cares about is the discovery he also tends to be an incredibly wealthy man uh, who doesn't need to worry about money but that's a, a side note roxton uh, was the, the the tragic hero of his day the, the man in love who can never have love uh, and who was the action hero. And Paula is your very, very typical 1920s heroine. Um, she is there to look pretty and be shocked. Summerlee probably has the least impressive uh, role in the film, which is interesting because he's played by Harry Hoyt's brother, Arthur. He's there to be the skeptic. He's there to be the man who says, oh my God, like, no, this is, this is not possible. He's the Gennaro of his time. <laughs> the Donald Gennaro. So it's hard for me to praise this on its deep characters or its story, but it's really easy for me to praise it on its spectacle. It's gorgeous. For the time, it is absolutely stunning what they managed to pull off. Um, the visual effects are absolutely top-notch. Uh, models, I mean, they, they look so good, and when you realize just how difficult stop-motion is, and this is in the infancy of the effect, it's amazing what he pulled off. Willis O'Brien deserved every bit of praise he's gotten over the years. I mean, he even invented the monster stampede because for anyone who hasn't read the book, 
Um, the Brontosaurus thing was invented for the film. Um, that was that was one of their ideas to to spice up the ending for its time. The equivalent of the Avengers final battle scene. I think in that regard, this film deserves every bit of praise it has. I mean, it's so historic. I mean, it was even the first film ever shown on a plane as a as a piece of media to enjoy on its own sake. It is not brilliant. It's a bit molasses. It just doesn't hold my interest. But you don't watch this for that. You watch this for the effects. You watch this for a challenger in many ways. And you watch this largely for the historical significance. Anyway, like I said, guys, this was a bit of a shorter one. Um, I would love to hear what you think about this film. Have you seen it? Why haven't you if if you uh, haven't gotten around to it yet? Uh, if you want to contact me, the email is fossilfic at gmail.com. Um, I'm also over on Twitter as Irish Paleo if you want to send me a buzz. Uh, yeah, next time is number five, and I've decided we're going to do something I love, and it was originally going to be my number two. We are going to talk about Age of Reptiles, the whole kit and caboodle. So take care of yourselves, guys. Stay safe, and I'll talk to you then.